everyone. Welcome to Risk Roundup. War is considered essential to resolving large-scale conflicts, and perhaps that is the reason we fight battles still today in all shapes and sizes. While war promotes the harm to and death of systems, infrastructure, resources, and human beings, most humans across nations still view life as priceless. So the rise of autonomous weapon systems, which are human independent systems that apply lethal force to a targeted opponent during war, means that these weapon systems can select and engage targets without further intervention by a human operator once they are activated. It fundamentally changes the dynamics of warfare. So when autonomous systems for warfare are here, the question is whether in the context of war, are fully autonomous weaponry machines, intelligent soldiers, or the ticking time bomb? To help explain, answer these questions and more, Dr. Hans Mum is here to give a talk in the Risk Group's Risk Roundup Distinguished Talk Series. Dr. Hans Mum is Senior Intelligence Officer, Cybersecurity Professional with over 27 years of progressively challenging positions within the advanced technology fields and information technology areas. Dr. Mum has led highly visible, high pressure projects in autonomous systems research, artificial intelligence, 5G initiatives, and cybersecurity risk management programs for the intelligence community, including the Director of National Intelligence, the National Security Council, and the Central Intelligence Agency. Dr. Mum also has, was awarded uh, U.S. Congressional uh, Awards for the decades of dedication and service in the United States of America. He has earned many, many 20-plus personal military ribbons, medals, and uh, citations, and uh, two director awards from the Defense Intelligence Agency. So welcome, Prof. Uh, Dr. Mom. We are so very honored to have you on Risk Roundup. The floor well, is yours. Thank you, and I uh, appreciate the uh, offer to be able to be here today. Um, the subject on autonomous systems and uh, autonomous weapons and war uh, becomes even more interesting uh, in our current situation in the world. Uh, drones are being used more in this conflict than any conflict before. Um, and you can actually see both sides going back and forth. Uh, there was an article put out yesterday that said that uh, Russia was actually uh, running out of drones. And so now all of a sudden this autonomous weapon system uh, becomes a central piece um, in the war and how to actually prosecute that war. Uh, the thing that is missing, I think, uh, and I'll talk uh, through the presentation a little bit, is the safeguards. So, um, you know, at what point do we say, okay, we push the button, the weapon system goes out, chooses a target, chooses the effect on the target, because of course there's multiple effects, whether it's, you know, uh, you know destruction or, uh, you know, uh, just knocking the target offline. It chooses an effect on the target, and then the weapon system um, executes that order. Right now, we technically do not allow that to happen without a human being in the loop. But where is the safety uh, safety mechanisms and what happens when we do get to that point? Especially smaller countries that are not able to go against the, you know, the big behemoths, right? The, you know, the US, the China's, the, the Russia's. 
um, the smaller countries would actually come almost on par with us if they had a fully autonomous uh, weapon systems. If their weapon systems could make the decisions and to prosecute the war in a very rapid amount. What stops us uh, from actually moving forward is humans, right? So it's human decisions that, that slow everything down. I mean, remember the US, we have famous uh, instances where we have had uh, enemies in our sights and we let them go because we can't get a decision from the top. So um, autonomous systems actually uh, will assist that. And so smaller countries actually have the ability to come on par with us, um, which is a little on the scary side uh, because they may not have the same, um, the, the same respect for life that we do. Um, keep in mind that you know, our targets are of military in nature and you know, usually we go after infrastructure um, and other things, we don't necessarily go after, you know, large uh, targets like we're seeing uh, in Ukraine. Um, you know, when you go after uh, apartment buildings, mm, I think you're going in the wrong direction. Um, and so, you know, those are, that's not good. So anyway, I will hop into this uh, to respect time to make sure that we can get <clears throat> any questions you might have in between. So hopefully with any luck at all, uh, technology is going to work. <laughs> <laughs> and it is going to allow me to share my screen properly. So hold on. Let me yes, see if I can get to share properly. All right. You should be seeing my uh, presentation. Mm -hmm. All right. Let me go into presentation mode. And hopefully, am I in presentation mode for you? Yes, it's great. Great. Okay. Perfect. So, so to start off, uh, you know, the presentation here is really about integrating autonomous systems and artificial intelligence. Can the human race and, and uh, these things actually coexist? Um, you'd be surprised the answer may or may not be yes. <laughs> so, um, and uh, are you seeing the slides advancing? Yes. Excellent, perfect. So <clears throat> just a little quick background, some of the things that I'm working on uh, right now. Uh, so my latest book is actually looking at uh, drone delivery of uh, CBNRE, CE, which is basically looking at chemical, biological, nuclear, radiological, and the latest weapon, which is cyber. So uh, looking at uh, directed energy weapons and emerging threats. So that book uh, just came out about uh, eight, 10 weeks ago. And then I have a few other books listed uh, that may be of interest to the audience. Um, I also am on the IEEE uh, for a standard for a subcommittee looking at self-healing architectures um, and where that is going to go in the future. And then, of course, you know, we had mentioned we talked um, briefly before we started on the uh, Quantum Security Alliance. And mm -hmm. then I also uh, teach for California Penn West. And then uh, to the lower right is actually my congressional record that uh, I was read into congressional record that you had mentioned. So where are we actually at? Well, here's where we thought we were going to be, right? This was where we thought we were going to be in the future. This was what we had hoped we were going to be at. We were going to be at peace. We were going to have all of these wonderful toys and technology that was going to support the human race, and it was going to be a better day for us. However, in reality, this is kind of where we're at. Why does it say paper jam? There is no paper jam. I swear to God, one of these days, I, I, I just <clears throat> Technology doesn't always work the way we want. And that's also a reason to be slightly skeptical sometimes when we start to look at the autonomous systems. 
So when we start to look at autonomous systems and we look at the integrating of the autonomous system infrastructure, so the U.S. is um, wholly behind uh, when it comes to uh, um, uh, autonomous infrastructure. And I'll explain a little bit more as, that, uh, as we go forward, but this is something that needs to happen. So currently, we list seven different autonomous systems, right? And I won't read the slides to you. However, uh, we actually just had to add in an eighth for my latest book, and that is actually on nanobiologics. And that is because of the latest pandemic. So we now have the ability to inject you with a robot and either mm, possibly heal you or kill you. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a little bit of a challenge there. Um, but soon, all of these different levels of autonomous systems are going to talk to each other. They're going to integrate. Yes. And, when they, and when they integrate, what does that mean? Where, you know, at which point do uh, do we have actual security on what you deem as the architecture, right? And at what point does that architecture self-heal? In other words, um, you're able to log on and off automatically, and the architecture doesn't need to change necessarily. So in other words, as I'm driving my car into a major city, it logs me in, and it has the latest maps because the car is going to self-drive. So at that point, uh, you know, if I need fuel and a UAV comes and brings me fuel, where is the security in this entire uh, stack of integration? And we don't have those answers yet. So the autonomous architectures, they're, they're outpacing, um, you know, policy and world leaders' ability to draft, approve policies, laws, governance, and really the leadership. Um, leadership is, is um, sort of frozen in time and we're not really moving as quickly as we should or as we need to. <clears throat> so where does that put us? Well, really in the key in integration is looking at all the different systems and how they integrate within humanity, right? We, we're, we're trying to do all of this for humanity, not necessarily so the, the vehicle can you know, drive itself just for fun. So when we start to look at these different pieces, you know, we have the policies, laws, ethics, human acceptance, insurance. Insurance is a big problem, by the way. Um, and I'll explain that in a second. But when we start to look at laws, crimes, the challenge with humanity is, is that, you know, technology can be used for good or evil. It just depends on which one we yes. want. Well, some of the stuff is trying to be used for evil. And that's not what it was designed for. And we're having a hard time figuring out how to stop that. So there are many companies around the world that are moving very, very quickly into the autonomous world. Mercedes-Benz is uh, one of them. Hyundai is another one that is uh, leading the way. So Mercedes actually has a uh, vehicle that is specific to Europe. And it can go over 35 miles an hour right now, fully autonomous. And they actually have a plan to get it all the way up near 100 miles an hour, uh, fully autonomous. The German government has signed on and said, we are all for this. And we will help you build the autonomous infrastructure. The challenge that you have <clears throat> is that the vehicles, especially here in the US, they just have a radar on the front of them but there is no feedback mechanism. 
the German government was smart enough to start to building feedback mechanisms into the vehicles um, and into the infrastructure so the vehicles know where it is in time and space and how to deal with emergencies and how to deal with traffic and other pieces. Um, so Mercedes and uh, the German government came together and they are moving very quickly with this. Um, they already have one vehicle out and they're moving with uh, uh, several others. And those are Europe-centric uh, Europe vehicles. So you're not even gonna be able to buy them here in the US. Hyundai um, actually is doing uh, what they call uh, self-driving platooning, uh, platoon trucks. And they have basically said, we will provide any information to anybody who can get us to level five. And level five means it is completely autonomous. It understands everything that's going on. Humans don't need to be in the middle of this. Humans just need to figure out what they want to put in the truck and where you want the truck to go. And by the way, level five actually can help uh, the truck decide where it needs to go based on what the um, um, uh, payload is in the truck. So there is a lot of things that are going on, um, you know, moving forward. And keep in mind, too, that uh, the U.S., uh, you know, we have uh, through um, Boston Dynamics, we have a, a um, we have a dancing robot, we have things like that, but we don't really have humanoid robots. Well, Russians do and other people do, so we better start catching up, right? Yes. No. The U.S. just sold Boston Dynamics, who got lots and lots of money from DARPA to build that little dancing robot. They just sold all of that about a year and a half ago to Hyundai, a foreign company. All of it went to them. Now, how they did that, nobody nobody in the Justice Department has, has ever uh, come back and explained to me how they did that since all of that money was DARPA money. That was our money. That was U.S. government money. That was the people's money. And so they built a company out of the people's money, and then they sold it to a foreign government. So we move on. Um, Hyundai is, is working. Um, it is, according to the paperwork, it's Hyundai America, whatever that means. Um, but that uh, technology has now been lost uh, to uh, overseas entities. So the U.S. is very far behind when it comes to autonomous systems. One of the things we have to look at <clears throat> is accountability within those systems. We have to make the system accountable for its decisions. This is something that is very difficult to do, and we have not mastered it quite yet. So when artificial intelligence is, uh, you know, we can program a system in multiple different ways. We can give it a goal or we can, you know, program it. Um, we don't always know how it makes those decisions. And that is going to be the key to understanding this revolution is to understand the accountability within that machine. So if we look at where we are, right, industrial revolution took about 100 years. Uh, information revolution took about 30 the scary part is, is if you go to Capitol Hill right now, you will find uh, leaders on Capitol Hill who will still swear that we're in the information revolution. Uh, we're not. <laughs> we have far, far surpassed that. Uh, we went into the rob robotics and, and biotech revolution. The interesting thing was, was we actually entered those two revolutions at the same time. 
and they are continuing at the same time. It's the first time in history that we've actually been in two revolutions at the same exact time. Now, when you go and you say, okay, well, what about this third revolution that came in? Now you have knowledge revolution, AR, VR, self-organizing entities, all at the same time that we are still in a robotics revolution and we are still in a biotech revolution. So humankind is making more knowledge um, now day by day than ever in history. And now we have to actually, <laughs> we, have, we need to apply that knowledge. So we are technically in the fourth industrial revolution right now, uh, where you know we start to look at things like the internet of things, AR, VR, artificial intelligence. Um, where, where we're going to be in the next year or two uh, is really the fifth industrial revolution. I'm looking forward to this myself. It's really where humans and machines will dance together metaphorically. It's where we will both be uh, a symbiotic. Um, so it's gonna be really interesting to see where that goes. However, we also have some, some interesting challenges that we end up with. So in Washington, D.C., their favorite uh, game is buzzword bingo, right? Anything that they can throw a buzzword out to, they absolutely do. And that is not always a useful thing uh, for some of this technology. What is I bidding my host? <clears throat> so a lot of times they end up putting all of these buzzwords into contracts. Yes. The contractors then decide that they're going to use these words, even though they really honestly don't know what they mean, and they didn't go back to the government for clarification. So remember, years and years ago, we had something called, um, uh, you know, we before the cybersecurity world, we were in information assurance. Well, information assurance didn't sound cool enough. It wasn't a good enough buzzword couldn't get enough money out of Congress for information assurance. That was boring. So we came up with all the buzzwords in the world. Cybersecurity, then cybersecurity expert, which by the way, uh, when I was the division chief for cyber for DNI, they were putting out all of these crazy contracts with these wording, cybersecurity expert, have to have 15 years of cybersecurity. Stop. You just came up with this buzzword less than five years ago when I was there. So how can you have a cybersecurity expert who had 15 years when you just came up with this buzzword? So we have to be very, very careful uh, as to you know, what we expect these things are. And I would highly question some of these words when you start to see them. Uh, you know, Data scientists, now we have data scientists. Um, before we have analysts, uh, you know, what is the actual difference? Um, you know, well, it's an extra zero on the end of that contract. So we need to kind of watch that. So what I want to do is I actually want, uh, and, and I actually mentioned this to an attorney yesterday, uh, another briefing I was giving, that I want to rebrand to something called AI Turbo. <laughs> Because that's how a turbo works, right? Yes, yes. Oh, yes. They, I mean, I I can almost yeah. promise you that at some point in the future, you are going to see a U.S. government contract come out, and it's going to say that you need AI turbo. <laughs> and so I just I just want to uh, get that. Uh, you know, I want to make sure I <clears throat> get that trademark before the government start putting it out there. So that's just. Uh, although I'm trying to be funny, the thing is, is that. Uh, you know, back in the day when, you know, Knight Rider was there and they would hit the turbo button 
a turbo button has nothing to do with jumping a car. It doesn't yes. work that way um, at all. Um, so when the government starts into these buzzword bingo things, you need to be very, very cautious as to what you're actually offering the government and what they actually are expecting. So now we need to really align with the new reality, right? So back in 2017, which by the way, was only five years ago, San Francisco absolutely pounded their fist and they said, absolutely not. We will not have delivery robots in, in the city <clears throat> and not every innovation is all that great for society. Okay, that was five years ago. Pounding their fist, absolutely locking these companies out. We, we don't want this, get it out of here. This is ridiculous. It absolutely not. Within five years, June 2nd, 2022, California regulators approved state's first robotic taxi fleet. Taxis can now charge passengers for driverless rides in San Francisco. The same city that five years ago pounded the fist and said, absolutely not. That's how fast the world changes. So you either have to align with the new reality or you're gonna get run over by that new reality. So I can tell you that the same people who were pounding their fists less than five years ago, most of them are not in power anymore. You have to align with the new reality, right? <clears throat> right now, can't find workers. Can't find people who wanna work. So we solved the problem. We have Flippy the Burger Flipper. <laughs> it's a robot in, Cal uh, in uh, California, Pasadena. <clears throat> and it's an actual burger flipper and he'll cook your burger for you. So, mm -hmm. you know, we're gonna solve the problems. Uh, so you've got to align. And again, the same way, now we've got robot assisted surgeries. So, you know, where does all of that lead us? Well, will AI move us, humanity to accept cyborgs? I think the answer is yes. yes. So right now, um, even all the way back to 2017, there is a Wisconsin company, uh, Three Square Market, who actually installed the rice-sized microchips into their employees. In Europe and uh, other places in the world, uh, being chipped is just as normal as walking around with a cell phone. Mm. It is absolutely normal. So where does that lead us to? <clears throat> well, are we willing to do this? Hmm, I don't know. I don't know that I would want to put a microchip on my eye and see the world through artificial, uh, um, you know, realities and augmented realities. But this is what's happening. We all have to look and decide, you know, what we agree with and what we don't for our own person. <clears throat> but this is real. Um, this company, uh, Mojo, actually has this. And you can see the picture on the right where it actually does show what that augmented reality is going to look like. Um, so we are going to move in that direction. So can we do it for the good of humanity? I think we can. Um, <clears throat> a lot of elderly folks are having challenges, not only with the pandemic and no um, outside activity with other humans, they're also having challenges with everything from medications to being able to get around. They're working on robots to be able to deal with a lot of that. 
and this kind of hits home for me personally. <clears throat> my parents are aging and they refuse to leave their house. They won't, they won't do it. But they're an hour and a half away on back roads to a hospital. My stepfather's 84 years old, close to it. I think he's 82, he's listening. I think it's 82, um, but, <clears throat> and they drive an hour and a half in order to get to a hospital. Um, I am actively looking at getting them a robot. Now they, they will, I guarantee you, they will fight me on it. And then later down the road, they'll probably thank me for it. But these are the things that we are working on to actually help, um, you know, humanity and, and do good with some of these uh, robots, right? So when we start to see the world through an artificial uh, lens and we start to see it through augmented reality and virtual reality, then we start to see the world differently. And when we see the world differently, it offers us new ideas and new ways to do things. So this is actually a slide that I worked on uh, with um, the Department of Defense looking at uh, using uh, some of this technology to take um, the operator and get them to safety, even though they may or may not understand what's going on around them. And when you start to see the world through an augmented reality, those sensors see more than you do. They understand more than you do. It can analyze more than you can. And now it can offer you uh, different ways of doing things and things that you may not look at. So in this scene, the operator probably would have simply continued forward in order to get to wherever he was trying to go. And instead, we basically augment that reality and we understand that, no, that's probably not the best way to go. And we offer a different route. Mm -hmm. So um, that augmented reality could really get us where we want to go. So... <clears throat> Now we have to look at a sort of a challenge. So Saudi Arabia, uh, as most people know, um, put Sophia, uh, which is an artificial intelligent robot, uh, mm -hmm. they gave her citizenship, which uh, really created some interesting challenges uh, for the world. It is believed, never proven, but believed that the reason they did this was because uh, Saudi Arabia was being attacked uh, through cyber means from multiple different actors and countries. And so what they did was they changed the game. Mm -hmm. They put this robot on and they said that the robot has citizenship, which means that when you're attacking their computer systems, you're actually attacking a Saudi Arabian citizen which gives them additional tools in their toolkit in which to respond because you are actually attacking a citizen, not just a computer system. So very interesting way of looking at the world and how to solve a problem that you couldn't solve. Yes. So in this, we have to start to look at what's the next level. Well, the next level really goes to if an artificial intelligence system, if an autonomous AI system 
becomes self-aware. Does it deserve human rights? And again, most people are going to be like, it's a computer. This is ridiculous. Why are we wasting our time with it? Stop, stop, stop. There are places around the world who are specifically looking at this problem, except in the U.S. We don't seem to want to engage in the next, uh, uh, the next phase of the world. Not sure why, but we don't seem to want to engage in it. So even uh, you know during Sophia's uh, um, you know uh, arguments and and uh, little tiffs on stage because Sophia actually was incredible in the interviews. Um, mm -hmm. The interviewer was asking her questions and she went off on a tangent, and the interview just changed the questions, mm -hmm. so it, it was able to keep up with it. But even Sophia said, but I'm not considered a legal person. And within the European Union and other locations, they are looking at human rights. So, <clears throat> but is anybody looking out for the rights of the human? <laughs> so actually there's a council of Europe and they have a, um, a commission for human rights out and it's an artificial intelligence and human rights. And I'll just simply read the first line of it. And it says that it's ensuring the human rights are strengthened, not undermined by artificial intelligence is one of the key factors that will define the world we live in. So there are people on both sides of the argument. Uh, one saying that the AI, once it becomes um, self-aware, that it should have human rights and the other side saying, wait a minute, all of this technology is actually supposed to be bettering um, the, the human experience. So we need to make sure that we are not undermining our own rights based on what we're doing with technology. So <clears throat> when we start to look at these things, we can look at you know the self-driving cars that are out there, but we can start looking at things like HR, security, employee relations. So I mentioned uh, at the beginning of the discussion, uh, insurance. Insurance is going to be a very interesting uh, situation. Mm -hmm. And if small companies have not called their insurance uh, carriers yet and asked them about AI and autonomous systems, uh, bad on them. They had better do that because it is here, whether you like it or not, it doesn't really matter. FedEx is delivering packages with them. Amazon is delivering packages. You have Domino's delivering pizzas with them. You have all of these different robotic systems. So if I have this gentleman, which by the way, I won't play this whole video through, but this gentleman is blind and <clears throat> with the help of his vehicle, with the help of his vehicle, he is about to go uh, through Taco Bell's drive through So what happens to your business mm -hmm. when you have employees who drive these self-driving cars onto your lot? What happens when you have deliveries in an unmanned truck? Mm -hmm. And again, if you think that's not going to happen, absolutely incorrect. So uh, the U.S. mail already has um, uh, large trucks that are uh, delivering mail to centers. 
uh, you've got different places. So if you look at the Department of Defense, and I've, I've inquired this a couple of times, I have an autonomous truck that shows up at my gate, whether I'm the DOD or I'm a mom and pop uh, pizza restaurant, shows up at my gate. Do I let it in or not? Well, if I don't, I don't get my delivery. <clears throat> so if I let it in, what requirements do I have as the owner of the property or the leaseor of the property in order to allow that vehicle to do its job? Mm -hmm. Do I have to provide network connectivity to it? Mm, there's some cyber risk. Do I need to do something special? Do I need to put infrastructure in? So what happens if that truck or even this, you know, this uh, uh, gentleman uh, who is going to work in, in a driverless car, what happens if that car crashes on your property and causes damage or injury? Do you think that you're free and clear? No, you are absolutely as culpable as anybody else because you allowed the vehicle on your, uh, on your property. So if you have not <laughs> sat down with your board of directors and started to figure out how you are going to deal with autonomous systems in your business, you had better start now um, because they are here. And no matter how much you want to fight against them, you're going to have to deal with them. Um, I can tell you, I live in Zebulon, North Carolina. Here in North Carolina, we actually have restaurants that have um, uh, robots that bring your food to you and bust the tables. Mm. So whether you like them or not, it really doesn't matter, but you'd better have an answer for your HR department, your security folks, your employee relations, everything else. If you don't, you're going to end up in a lot of problems down the road. Now, where do we go in the world of interesting? Almost 3,000 precision strikes last year. We're super proud of it. It allows you to separate the bad guys. <laughs> Is there no voice? What's that like? Uh, in the slide. Hell of a pilot? Oh, okay. No. no. That skill is all AI. Oh, okay. It's flying itself. Its processor can react 100 times faster than a human. The stochastic motion is an anti-sniper feature. Just like any mobile device these days, it has cameras and sensors. Mm. And just like your phones and social media apps, it does facial recognition. Inside here is three grams of shaped explosive. This is how it works. Did you see? So this video is actually not real. It was put out by um, a college to elicit uh, discussion mm -hmm. in what was happening in the world around us. And lots and lots of folks said, oh, there's no way that's gonna happen. No way anything like that's gonna occur. Uh, this product was launched yesterday and is based on uh, the Black Hornet helicopter. 
interesting. The U.S. Army has bought lots and lots of these Fleer Black Hornets. Mm -hmm. So, you know, was the video really that far off? Probably not. So again, we have to look at, you know, mm -hmm. what are we using the autonomous system for? Well, now we start getting into humanoids, right? So Russia, Mm. So they have they have a gentleman over here to the right who's actually trying to shoot against the the um, uh, uh, machine, and he actually misses a couple, and the machine gets all of them. Um, you know how real is it? Well, July twenty eighth, twenty uh, or July twenty fourth, twenty eighteen, Russia actually sent these humanoids up to the International Space Station. Mm. If you understand the safety requirement for space these things have to be pretty good. So they sent them up. They operated so well that when they got back down, Russia actually destroyed them because they had already learned so much that they're on to their next level of humanoid. So it's absolutely occurring. Mm. Then, you know, we have... Yeah. This is coming out of Dubai. Yes. <clears throat> this was a couple of years ago. They actually um, uh, ended up uh, ordering a bunch of these. And these are from Dallas, Texas. Mm -hmm. No, these are from Russia. Mm -hmm. So that gives you an idea as to how far behind the U.S. is. Yes. So, then we start into a little bit more commercial products. Safe return, very simply, is a safety system where if for any reason the pilot's ever incapacitated, a passenger can land the aircraft with just the touch of a button. Emergency auto land activating. So just after the safe return button was touched, the vision jet turns into an autonomous vehicle. Once activated, yeah. Safe Return transforms the screens on the Perspective Touch Plus flight deck to screens that are useful for a passenger. The next thing Safe Return does is it uses its global terrain database to identify the nearby terrain and figure out the best path to avoid that terrain. <clears throat> and it's not just terrain. The Safe Return system uses satellite data link to navigate around potentially hazardous weather. Once Safe Returns identified the potentially hazardous terrain and weather nearby, it then uses information uh, like fuel remaining, winds aloft, and winds on the ground to select a suitable airport. And once it selects that airport, it uses additional information to select the most suitable runway. Not only is Safe Return taking care of the aircraft, it's also taking care of the passengers. <clears throat> so to tell you that you know the world is not horrible in technology, this is absolutely incredible, um, mm -hmm. the technology that, that they have here. So now let me tell you the downside. Cirrus was a US company. Cirrus was started in the United States and it was sold to China. So the technology that you see, although a lot of it is being developed here in the US is actually owned by a foreign entity. Mm -hmm. So where do we go uh, you know, when we're starting to look at consumer products? Now you have a grocery cart that is fully automated. It understands where it's supposed to be in the uh, grocery store. 
It um, actually can link to your IoT device. So it can talk to your refrigerator. Uh, if you are low on milk or anything else, it can talk to your iPad and iPhones and get your grocery list. Um, and it can assist you in being able to go and get all the groceries or you can have somebody else uh, at the grocery store go and get them all. It assigns the cart number to you and you just go and pick up your groceries. So again, uh, technology can be used for good. Uh, it is also uh, being used again to help uh, some of the labor shortage issues that we're having. Uh, this is a, a real uh, robotic pizza, pizza shop. You can actually uh, go right online to this company and ask them about purchasing uh, a franchise. And they are selling, and uh, from what I understand, and the people who've actually tried their pizza, it is actually pretty good pizza. So um, again, you know, robots are here. Um, you know, and then when we look at, uh, you know, the, the age old problem of, you know, weeding a garden. Well, we don't have to weed a garden anymore. It will do it for us. <clears throat> So this is kind of a cute device <clears throat> that's used for home use. However, John Deere uh, at the beginning of the year came out with a fully autonomous uh, tractor. And they also have different uh, sensor mechanisms that can go down the rows of food and basically eradicate uh, the weeds and also tell you if you're having any problems with your crops. Uh, so there's a lot that is happening with all of that. So you think, well, everybody is, you know, embracing this, right? Everybody loves this idea. Well, not really. <clears throat> so UPS <clears throat> decided that they were going to put out a drone delivery system. And they put out this drone delivery system and they got the FAA approval and everything was great. So you would think, hmm, Better, stronger, faster, cheaper, more efficient, more effective. That, that's great. The very same day that they released this press release, their stock fell by 3.4%. Mm. Because they didn't always look at the human. So my uncle was a UPS guy for 35 years in a town near Nevada, just on the California border. And we went years ago with my uncle on vacation to that town. And everywhere we went, everybody waved and said, oh, it's the UPS guy. And they waved at the UPS guy, right? And if you have a delivery person that you have seen for 30 years, who brings your packages and pick your packages up, you're not really interested in seeing this drone delivery. Somebody failed to talk to the customer. So here's another example where they had a robot uh, a security guard that they put out there. They were trying to um, uh, reduce crime in San Francisco. And uh, when they did this, they didn't really think it through very well. <laughs> so they chose this robot and they put it out there. And they put these little tiny signs out there that say recording audio and video for your safety. Okay, um, I'm not believing you <laughs> at all. And the problem was, was that nobody had done any 
um, understanding of what people were going to uh, look at and react to this robot. So if you walked out your door tomorrow morning and this robot is winking and blinking at you, you probably wouldn't like it. So in this case, um, the people of San Francisco, including the homeless and others, uh, basically uh, attacked the robot, um, smeared feces on its uh, uh, sensors, and human police had to go and uh, rescue the robot. That is a really good example of not understanding and communicating to people what these robots are, are there for and how they're going to help you. So now the, the question is, is you know, when, you, when you're all done, is your product being used as intended or not? By the way, this is a real product. <clears throat> These are not MIT scientists, but you see the incredible uh, uh, control theory that they have for this chainsaw. They were trying to solve a problem and they did. So they needed to be able to cut trees away from electrical lines. They couldn't afford to send a helicopter out there to do it. So they came up with this invention. Hmm. So as you start to look at you know, product development and other things, you have to look at, you know, is your product really being used as intended? I'm not really sure that the, uh, the, the uh, chainsaw manufacturer thought that somebody would come up with that idea. Mm -hmm. So key takeaways here uh, throughout this briefing is really, you know, true AI is really going to move slower than what we expected. So really be, oh, you know, be wary of buzzwords. Uh, be wary of that, you know, that, that turbo vac that's coming out uh, and, and the turbo AI. Um, Autonomous systems are here. Whether you like it or not, really doesn't matter. Build your business, build your surroundings, build your understanding around um, you know, the reality of the situation, align with that reality and figure out how to work within that reality. And again, that may be talking to your board of directors, that may be talking to your, your human resource people, your security people, your uh, cybersecurity people, and definitely your insurance company. Insurance companies and bankers, which by the way, you know, bankers may or may not uh, uh, back you if you are going to fight against reality, because this reality is um, better, stronger, faster, cheaper, you know, more efficient. And if you want to fight against that, it's hard for a banker to say, hey, yes, we want slower, bad products, not happy customers. Let's fund that business. They may not like that. So you really need to embrace the change. Um, and then again, when you start to look at, you know, how you're communicating to the public, whether that is about autonomous systems, if it is about uh, your possible future use of autonomous systems, or how you are uh, looking at embracing or how you want to integrate these things, 
go out there with a public relations campaign, go and talk to your customers, see how that is going to act and react and how your business is going to be. Uh, go far beyond that current idea of just see our website. That's not going to cut it anymore. So when we have a shifting knowledge base, right? This knowledge base is, is very different. Um, you know, the, the millennials and, and uh, those folks, they want to see things very different. So you need to kind of work within that uh, framework and align with them. Um, knowledge no longer creates a de facto leadership role, by the way. Um, they really want to understand what you're doing. Um, and then the dangers of misinformation. Um, and then looking at, at how you're going to build your workforce in the long run. And the final slide, I'll, I'll uh, let this play through. <clears throat> this video has been out for several years. If you've ever rode, ridden a motorcycle, you know how difficult this is. And you do notice that this is Yamaha. Not Harley Davidson. Now the training wheels are off. I am not human, but there has to be something only I am Motobot. I was created to surpass you. Interesting. Motobot was created to surpass you. Not to stand next to you, not to be right with you, but to surpass you. That's where we're going in the world of autonomous systems. And that is why we need to make sure that we have those safeguards and we align with that reality and we're watching what's happening with things like human rights and understanding what the world is doing, not necessarily what the US is doing because the US for whatever reason has chosen to stand in the background and not be a leader. So that is the end of my briefing questions. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Mum. It was a very insightful, very informative presentation. Um, thinking, uh, when you mentioned about the human rights, about the autonomous systems, I was thinking about it that we humans, we have created another species. There is no other way to put it. This is another species created by humans. So where, do, where does this species stand? Is it going to be a slave to the humanity? Or is it going to be uh, an equal partner? Can we live together? There are so many different questions, but the bigger question is that um, the geopolitics, the power play of the geopolitics of the autonomous systems. Now, as you mentioned, 
that United States, for whatever reason, has decided to you know take a very cautious approach to this. Uh, I'm sure they have their own reasons. Many countries, like you said, you know, Russia to Dubai to China to now also India, they're all you know advancing very rapidly. Uh, so where where do countries go from here? How do we protect uh, as a country, United States? How do we protect ourselves? Because the reality of the development of these uh, systems does not mean that these developments stay within those countries only. It nope. will it will come to us in one shape or the other, in one form or the other. So how do we protect ourselves? Uh, the democratization of destruction is ongoing. It is not only necessary that the government agencies, military, military or the uh, governments are in control of this development of the autonomous systems. They are not. The, any individual can create an autonomous system. And for us sitting here, to be able to control or you know predict what is coming our way is going to be an enormous challenge. But the bigger challenge that I see that nobody is thinking about is that what is hidden in any autonomous system, the commands, what are the commands that are hidden in the autonomous system? And let me tell you why you know, that is such a cause of concern. Because if you look at us human species, if we speak in the language of AI, then our algorithm is goes from one human body to another. You know, when we die, it, the algorithm goes to another body. Then it goes to another body. It goes to another body, and the memory stays embedded in the algorithm as it goes from one body to another. There, for example, you know, my ancestors, the original ancestors that started that line is still going through through me and through my children. It will carry forward. Now, all those generations memory is in my algorithm. Now, do I remember any of that? No, I don't remember that. Is it possible to remember that? For some very you know, uh, blessed few individuals, they remember you know, a lot of things about their past, but most of us, we don't remember anything about our ancestors or anything about why our algorithm was created and why we are on this earth. We don't know that. Now, sure. if, we, if we carefully <clears throat> look at this for the AI, the autonomous systems we are building, we don't know what kind of command and the you know things are programmed in the AI systems. We don't know that. We don't know how it is hidden in that in the form that you know once it could be given any kind of command that once you reach certain stage the algorithm should escape and you know go into this or whatever you know different forms so the point is do we know the program of any algorithm that has been created we don't we don't have any capability for that and that's where i see the biggest risk because we have not put in any efforts, any resources in understanding what each of the AI program is designed and defined to do, we ha have no idea. And I have been talking about this for years and nobody's paying attention to that. Another point that you mentioned in your presentation, and I'm really glad that you, you know, brought that uh, uh, to our risk group community's attention, is that the integrated, right? When algorithms, the AI system, AI system is just uh, autonomous system is not just one algorithm. It is 
collective, you know, a lot of different systems working together. Now, when they start talking to each other, how would we know that they have already defined a new language to interact amongst, you know, themselves and to talk to them? Do we have any program that is working on that? Do we have any funding, you know, that has not, defined? Not necessarily. So the, the difference here is, is that um, with especially AI systems, because they have to be trained, right? And we have to look at the, the bias and training because we all have bias and we've seen dozens of AI systems go haywire, right? Um, you know, in, in the, my discussion yesterday, they were talking about the uh, the banking system, and uh, there is a, a specific mortgage lender out there um, who put in this AI system, so you could just go in and fill out your uh, mortgage uh, uh, information. And what they found out was that the African American community was actually uh, being charged uh, three to five percent more in interest rates based on a bias that the system had because the system actually goes back and looks at uh, your mom and your grandma uh, and their uh, credit rating. What does that have to do with me? Uh, so there are, there are some problems within that. The other thing you have to look at is when you start looking at training data, there is very little um, in the way of guaranteed clean training data. So if I do insert certain commands in there, so it, in Star Wars, and if you're a Star Wars fan, <clears throat> Star Wars fan, uh, um, at one point, uh, you know, the, the foe basically activates a command and he said, you know, execute, execute uh, order uh, on 666, right? And the, the, the robots basically turn against the humans um, and, and against the Jedi. Is there, you know, is there any guarantee that we have a clean system? No. Is there certain safeguards where we can go through and, and you know, run all the executables that we can see? Sure, but there's only so much that we can do. Uh, you know, is there ways that the systems can kind of do what they want to do to a point? But that's also why I talk about safeguards, um, especially when we start to, uh, you know, automate systems to be able to go and take targets, right? When we start looking at, at systems that are automated to uh, taking targets and stopping a human heart, we need to really understand what the safeguard is, um, not only for the system, but who actually programmed it. And that's why I get very concerned that the US is choosing, and again, depending on who you talk to in, in the DC area, they'll say, oh no, the US is number one in this. No. The first drone port in the world, Rwanda, Africa, or Dallas, Texas? Rwanda, mm -hmm. Africa. The, the first place, uh, um, the UK has had, um, since 2000, they have had um, their drones in their national airspace. They have actually updated their uh, language and their laws on multiple occasions to include starting to integrate multiple layers we still don't even have drones in our national airspace yet. We still have to go and beg uh, um, to be able yes. to fly and beg all of these things. If you go to France, they actually have a UAV that is uh, a, a small ambulance UAV, right? That can uh, you know, uh, help you with heart attacks and, and brings bandages and actually has a doctor talk to you uh, live. 
Um, we don't have anything like that. So mm -hmm. um, the U.S. Has, has truly, for whatever reason, decided that they're going to stand on the sidelines and let the world pass them by. Um, that also puts us in a very difficult position to be able to uh, understand how clean that data is, because at some point we're going to have to jump into this whole thing. And usually what we do is we throw a whole bunch of money and a whole bunch of contractors who go out and acquire this stuff and put it online. But we really don't have any safeguards within that. Yes, that is a cause of great concern. We don't have safeguards. And like you mentioned in your presentation, the few points that you uh, brought to light are like how our systems are you know, operating, how we have total disconnect in some way, you know, if you want to put it in a really harsh language that, you know, the, the funding, the way the funding goes, the, you know, who gets funded and, you know, uh, how the projects are chosen, the change management with it, the, you know, insurance and risk management, all of that are in chaos in, you know, so many different ways. It, that shows, you know, how unprepared we are as a country. If there is a warfare applying these emerging, advanced emerging technologies, AI and autonomous systems and, you know, uh, nano, you know, machines and all kinds of different, you know, warfare tools that are being developed, how are we going to win that battle with our enemies? That is the cause of great concern. So what are your thoughts on that? That if tomorrow there is a war using these applied, you know, advanced technologies, how will United States stand in that warfare? How will we compete in that warfare? And if we cannot, then who, what is the impact on future implications on the future of humanity? Because so far, United States has been holding the world together in so many different ways. We have been protecting, doing, we have been leading the uh, edge on uh, protecting our species. But so, if we fail, if we fail to these advanced weapons, what happens to the humanity? So the, the, uh, uh, the beauty behind robots is, is they're attritable, right? So if our enemy is running a whole bunch of robots, they're going to attrit robots and we're gonna end up attriting humans, which is gonna put us in a very bad position, right? The challenge we have is, you know, back in the World War you know, one and two, we had Rosie the Riveter, we had this impassioned nation who understood what was at stake. I don't know, I hope the U.S. could come together if that needs to be again. Um, I just don't know that we would. Um, we have had some very difficult times even in the last year. So we, uh, you know, we have had strange things happen. Uh, we're out of baby formula and mm -hmm. we activated, we activated the defense system in order to make more baby formula. Mm -hmm. There's difficulties in decisions uh, from leadership when they do things because then businesses start to look and say, well, wait a minute, I don't want the government just coming and taking over my business and deciding that this is a national defense issue so I'm, I'm concerned that maybe I, maybe I want to put some of my stuff in Mexico or Canada or someplace else. Mm -hmm. 
So the US government can't just decide that they're going to activate the national security uh, um, requirement and come in and, and take my production. So I think that when we start to look at uh, a tritable against humans, we're in trouble. Um, I think that when you start to look at how the world has become, um, you know, so interdependent on each other, and we saw this, you know, desperately during uh, the COVID situation, that I don't know how much uh, material, in other words, robots, how many robots we could really kick out and be able to go against the their attributable robots. Who would actually win that? Um, I don't know. I would say that you know, we would probably attrit more humans. And uh, when we start attriting humans, then the uh, uh, the civilian population tends to get squirrely and tells the government uh, stop the war, right? Which mm -hmm. may mean that there's collapse, right? Which is the whole basis of World War II, and we couldn't stop, you know, the war. Yeah, uh, yeah. had to move forward uh, for the sake of humanity. So that that it will become a very difficult situation, and it, it's really mm -hmm. going to come down to who can attrit uh, more uh, robots that ends up, you know, attriting more humans to change the decision of a population. Yes, yes, definitely. If the United States cannot get its act together and uh, be the leader of this in advanced emerging technologies, then there is a lot at risk. So a lot of people, a lot of organizations, and lo a lot of countries, I would say, uh, are very hopeful and uh, eager to see that United States takes the lead back and does what it needs to do to protect the future of the humanity, because this is not just about the survival of the United States. This is not just about the superiority of the United States. This is about the future of humanity. And for that, United States need to get it act back together. Having said that, uh, what would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners about all the books that you have written? I mean, I'm sure uh, some of our you know, risk group community members, they would like to read your books you know, on uh, the drones and uh, all these uh, other emerging technology topics that you have addressed. Where can they find that? So, so you can either just go to hansmum.com, which is my website, and, and it will send you to uh, Amazon. Uh, they're all on Amazon. Um, and I'm actually working on the ninth book now uh, with a writing group. Uh, but we have, you know, such titles as, you know, unmanned air aircraft in the cyber domain, which goes through and tries to explain, you know, um, what that means and how, uh, how you need to start to look at uh, protecting yourself. And then looking at things like uh, uh, counter UAB, right? How to counter the threat that's out there, um, because the, the challenge is going to be is at some point, again, you're going to have to figure out uh, you know, if you've got a whole bunch of these things flying around, uh, you're going to have to figure out what's good and what's bad. Um, but for me, I, I, you know, I wake up every day with, you know, with a smile and understanding that we still have uh, the most incredible time to live. We have incredible opportunities. Um, I definitely don't look at the world as doom and gloom. Uh, I don't look at the U.S. as doom and gloom either. Um, I, I hope that we are, are um, learning and we're going to move forward with some of these things. I do agree with you that the U.S. needs to, to redouble its efforts in getting to understand that we really are part of that, you know, whether humanity collapses or not. Yes. Uh, 
you know, we look at life um, as precious and we look at it much different than a lot of places around the world. Um, and sometimes that's difficult, right? It's hard to have those conversations when you're sitting at the United Nations or the, you know, NATO and, you know, a partner country does not look at life in the same sanctity that you do. Yes. Uh, and, and those are difficult discussions. But I do think that the, the United States needs to, to take back a little bit more of a leadership role. Um, and uh, again, I, I think it's absolutely incredible time to be alive. Uh, um, if you would like, I can uh, get you the uh, copy of the presentation. Uh, please send it out. I have no issue with that. Um, and if anybody needs anything from me, you know how to find me. Great, wonderful. And uh, I think your the points that you made are right on. And we there is no doubt that we are living in a uh, very transformative time. We can reshape the entire world, all of our domains and dimensions, and we can transform the humanity. But at the same time, we can also bring a societal collapse if we are not cautious in how we go forward. So there is a lot at risk and we have to have these difficult discussions. Even if you know some people may not like to hear them, we do have to have this discussion. And I hope that our global viewers and listeners uh, you know, take this discussion seriously and uh, do what they can within their power uh, to take the humanity forward and to do whatever is necessary to protect the future of humanity. So thank you so much, Dr. Mom, for participating in Risk Roundup today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on the autonomous systems, promise and perils. And I'm sure our global viewers and listeners would benefit tremendously from the information you shared today. And as a result, this Risk Roundup dialogue has been of service. We thank you for that. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much. So Risk Group is a strategic security risk research platform and community. Risk Group and I are on a mission to talk with a billion brilliant minds like Dr. Hans. And uh, through the Risk Roundup initiative, this effort is to research, review, rate, and report strategic security risk facing humanity. Thank you for being part of the conversation. Until next time, I'm Jayshree, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.